Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, and this is where we talk about what's new and what's next in e-commerce. And man, am I excited about today's topic and today's guest. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by Zipify Pages, taking the pain out of building powerful, high converting e-commerce landing pages. If you're on Shopify, you have to check out Zipify Pages and also one-click upsells built by my friend and e-commerce entrepreneur Ezra Firestone. Check it out at zipify.com. This is really a man that needs no introduction for most of you, Mr. Andrew Udarian of e-commerce Fuel. He is an icon in the e-commerce community. I think he had the very first e-commerce podcast, so we were all following in, in Andrew's footsteps, those of us that are, are hosting podcasts of our own. And so we're really excited to, to talk to Andrew about something he knows very, very well, and that's how do we survive in an Amazon world? We're going to look at this topic from several different angles. Andrew's got personal experience. He also talks to some of the best and brightest e-commerce minds out there. So Without further ado, Mr. Andrew Udarian, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Brett, hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate the kind intro. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. We've kind of crossed paths a few times in the last year. I think we met up at IRCE for a few minutes, kind of little chats here and there, but good to have some focused time to talk about some good stuff here. Yeah, I, uh, I love my, my dedicated Brett time for sure. So <laughs> okay, this will be fun. <laughs> good. Good. All right, man. So one, one thing I was thinking, so obviously we're talking about Amazon going to look at, you know, I want, I want to pick your brain on on how you've utilized Amazon for your business and just how a merchant should should think about Amazon and how they stay competitive and, and all those good things. One thing I was thinking, though, was I don't know that I've ever heard the story of why you started e-commerce fuel. And so I'm sure there are people out there, you know, probably everybody listening knows you or knows of you. But why did you start the podcast? When did you start the podcast? Give us that that quick genesis story, if you don't mind. Yeah. So my background, I'll try to keep this as brief as possible, but background was just, you know, got out of finance, started a couple of e-commerce businesses to, uh, you know, just try to do my own thing. Why what is it about finance it? guys? Sorry to interrupt. What is it about finance guys <laughs> getting into e-commerce? That, that's what Bill D'Alessandro did, right? You're, you're a good buddy. We've got a couple of clients that, that were started in finance and then moved to e-commerce. I don't, I don't know what the deal is there. I, I Maybe it's a combination of, uh, depending on finance, you can have great finance roles. You can have just life-sucking, you know, just finance jobs too that, that <laughs> to just give you, yeah. you know, people say, how do you do it? Like, how do you know people? Like, how do you make the jump? And how do you, it's it's so scary. And like, well, if you're coming out of something that's just horrifically sucked your life for the last two and a half years, <laughs> it's the opportunity cost of not doing it is much greater. Where, right? you, so, where you'd say anything yeah. is going to be better than than what I had to endure there. Okay, got it. That makes yeah. Sense. Um, but yeah, I came out of finance. I started a couple of e-commerce businesses, so got a little bit of experience under my belt. And about 2012, noticed that, but there wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, you mentioned being my being the first e-commerce podcast. I think Terry Lynn over at my uh, Build My Online Store was was he was doing it before I was. Um, but apart from that, yeah, not a lot of people talking about uh, you know e-commerce, either blogging or podcasting from a, a. I'd say like a more of an independent approach. Yes, people were talking about J Crew and and you know Kohl's and Target and and you know Amazon a little bit at that point. But but for the most part, it was it was you know Inc. 500 or you know the, the Fortune 500, and so. I, I saw an opportunity, one, where I could share what I had learned, and, and two, um, 
thought that just it was something that was important to be talked about and ideally hopefully wanted to to connect with other people in the space and also thought there might be a potential to also build another business there. So it was a combination of those two that kind of led me to start blogging in 2012, start the podcast and the community in 2013. Yeah, and it's been really fun to watch. And so I think you and I connected maybe first in 2014 or 15, I don't remember, uh, but, you know, watching e-commerce fuel grow over that time and and really just the consistent feedback I hear is the the collection of store owners is, is very high quality. You know, th- these are the people that are in your community are, are, are people that are making it happen, you know, pushing innovation and 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 really making things happen in e-commerce and so uh, good job on on building that community any any insights like on on how you did that because i think like a lot of e-commerce merchants also want to build a community different style right if i'm if i'm selling uh you know kids apparel or something i probably want to build a community of moms it's going to look different than than e-commerce fuel but but any any tips on how to build a a community or what you did to make e-commerce fuel so successful yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I'd say if I was going to boil down building a community to kind of some of the, the three or four most important things to get right, I think the first one is being a, a you know, being of the demographic of the community you're building for. Yeah. Um, all the e-commerce stores I've built have been very opportunistic, or opportunistic rather, kind of almost like a mercenary mindset. And I wasn't, you know, CB radios, trolling motors, those were not things that I was passionate about. And that was that was hard enough to do with a store, but I think building a community, it's it's built so much on authenticity and relationships. Mm. You can't you can't fake it. So number yeah. one is, you know, if you're if you want to build a community about something, you've got to be you've got to be of, you know, cut from that kind of cloth at some level. Second thing is Building an audience before you have a community, I think, is really important. So before I launched the forum, I, I blogged for just a year straight, you know, probably like, you know, spent at least 20 hours a week, if not more, doing it to build that community up, not just for the community and the audience and the email list, but also for the connections that I could use to seed that community. So when I launched a year in, I had 100 to 150 people that I had been tagging throughout that previous 52 weeks that just, you know, kind of in the course of writing and connecting to people you come across saying like, wow, these people would be phenomenal to be charter members of the community. Um, So, and then at that point, a year in, once I had that kind of list of connections, I slowly started to bring them into a, a form over the course of, you know, a month or two, introduce them to each other, ask a lot of questions, facilitate discussions. Uh, and it was free, of course, starting out because it's, you have a chicken and an egg problem. How are you going to charge for something before you have any, you know, real meaningful thing to charge for? And so uh, all those members, well, they were all free. They got grandfathered in for life on the free plan. And then once I felt like I had something that was valuable, a community and a discussion, ongoing discussion that was, that had some momentum, that's when I kind of, you know, parlayed that into a, a kind of more of a paid offering. And so the whole process, I mean, it took, you know, between a year and a year and a half to get even to the point where I could start charging for anything. So those would be, uh, those would be some of the, I think some of the key elements of, at least that worked for, for me in getting the business and, and the community off the ground. I love it. So again, we're going to, we're going to talk about Amazon, but this is so important. I want to, I want to talk about, cause I do actually think some of what you just talked about, we may circle back to, because I think as we try to compete against Amazon and as we try to figure out why should my store exist in an Amazon world? A lot of it's going to go back to community. So I think this piece is really important. But you know what I think a lot of people do, Andrew, and you probably see this too. Uh, one, you know, they're in a business maybe like you were in with you know, selling CB radios or trolling motors where you don't really care about that a whole lot. That's not your thing, which there's nothing wrong with that. But then it does make the community part really hard and kind of exhausting. And you'd be really tempted to take shortcuts where you'd say, hey, let me just let me just write a blog and I'll, uh, you know, send out a Facebook ad and I'll just do that. Like you, you, you wouldn't have launched e-commerce fuel if you just wrote a couple of blog posts and ran some ads. 
you manually reached out to people. You started adding value before you asked for money. Like you, you started, you, you did the hard work, man. You did the, the, the manual labor to build this thing, which, which is impressive. And I think that is kind of, I have to build any community to a certain degree. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's interesting. If you would have asked me five years ago, Hey, should you focus on your passion or should you take a very, you know, kind of mercenary approach, like I mentioned earlier and analytical approach to what will sell well, I was, especially coming out of finance, like we were joking about, like to me, number one priority was making money. And if I had to sell, uh, you know, if I had to sell elephant saddles, I didn't care. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, it just, yeah. I, I wanted the business to work, but I think I think today it's, I, I still think you can have a, a very healthy discussion and debate about that. But I do think there is, I'd say I've moved a little bit to see more of the benefit of being on the passion side or at least being somewhat interested in it because it, it gives you the authenticity. It gives you the, the the ability to connect personally with your customers, which is something maybe we'll get into where you have an advantage over Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, I do, and a lot of the, the stores I see that are doing really well are, are focusing more on that authenticity and that connection versus versus uh, you know previous times. So it's yep, yep. it's something that's worth considering more at least today. Yeah, I totally agree. And funny quick story there. There's a couple guys that I was I was doing some marketing with uh, a few years ago, and and two. One one dude was in his like thirties. Other guy was in his forties, and and they were running marketing for a, a company that sold um, sewing and knitting and crocheting resources. <laughs> and neither one of them knew anything about it. And and so it's like we we joked around a lot about it. They were they were self deprecating about it. It was great. Um, but you know their thing was, hey, this allows us to focus on the numbers, which is cool. But what you have to do in that case, I think if you don't have the passion for the product, you better bring someone on that does. Like you better have someone on your team that, that they, they think about crocheting all the time and they talk about sewing and knitting all the time and they can connect with those people because these guys couldn't, but, but they could run the number side. So you either, you either have to have the passion or you better bring it on is, would, be, would be my thought. Yeah. One, one last thing on that, that line of thinking. Uh, I just, just finished up a, a podcast series with a couple of people who, who run very successful blogs for their e-commerce sites. I mean, we're talking like it generates 60 to 80% of their traffic and sales for their business whoa, from a blog, whoa, which is unheard whoa. of, that right? Is, unheard of. Is, yeah. And they, one of the, the big things that they both emphasized independently was find writers. Don't just go out on to Upwork and hire someone. Find writers from your demographic who know the stuff really well because it makes a tremendous difference, which I, it seems like common sense, but it's something I hadn't thought of. Yep. So. Yep. You can totally sniff it out if it's not, if it's not from someone who knows their stuff or not authentic. So, um, cool. Well, let's, let's talk Amazon. So, you know, here we are. I just, I was actually, I got done doing another recording right before this and then hopped to this and in like the two seconds between I, I popped up Facebook and I, I didn't read the article, but it was something like Jeff Bezos just added $6.5 billion to his net worth in like a day or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Just, you know, the, the, the hyperbole around how Amazon is growing is, is really uh, almost hard to overstate, you know, I mean, still growing at, at 20, 30% a year. And, you know, they're even, depending on how you slice and dice the numbers uh, because of how Amazon has to, to do their accounting where, and I know, you know, but like with the marketplace, all the sales in the marketplace, Amazon can only count their their commission, right? So their 10%, whatever it is on average, they can only count that. So if you add up all the revenue, like they're about the size or bigger than Walmart, like some, pe some people would argue. Um, so this, this, this giant company, their market cap is, is way bigger than Walmart, but, but you could argue even that the revenue is. So how does someone view Amazon? And I know this can totally vary from merchant to merchant, but... You know, is Amazon friend, enemy, frenemy? Like, what, what, what are you seeing? How, how do you think the 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 merchant, the independent merchant, should view Amazon? 
Yeah, I think uh, in a word, I think front of me is a great way to look at it. I think if you look at the evolution over the last two years, let's say, you know, 2015, Amazon was the the new kid that came to school that was just giving out free candy to everybody and everyone was loved and was saturated with, right? And last year we saw a little bit of a tempering on that and, and you know, still a lot of opportunity there. People still loved him. But this year, one thing that, that I really noticed, and this is a little anecdote maybe to frame it up, when I asked people what they wanted to hear at... Uh, you know, in terms of speakers and content and and strategies for ECF Live this year, which is our live event for our private community, it, you know, they said, you know, for the first time ever, I don't want to hear any more about Amazon. I, wow. I've gotten enough of that. Wow. I really want to hear about how can we, you know, build our own independent web presence, uh, partially because there's a lot of information about there, but partially because I think people are starting to realize that they've made a, a, a deal with the devil a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Because, you know, it's it's an incredible way to move product and make money. But increasingly, A, it's it's risky because you have all your eggs in one basket. And and B, uh, you know, you've – Amazon a lot of times can look at what you are selling and try to rip it off. They have a long tr- and illustrious track record of doing that. Um, and it's just and, – and, and fees are going up on Amazon and they have a lot of power to not only just own your customer but squeeze that margin over time. So um, I think frenemy is the absolute best way to look at that. Yeah, I would I would one hundred percent agree, and I think it's one of those things. If you if you step back and look at the the bigger picture, you know I think Amazon needs and wants the marketplace like a diverse marketplace with lots of different sellers, and I don't think Amazon's ever going to try to you know compete with and eliminate all the sellers in the marketplace. Like I think the the marketplace is going to continue to grow and thrive and do well, but doesn't mean you wouldn't be one of the merchants that, that Amazon decides that, hey, I, I could do that and, and they could potentially squeeze you out. Or I mean, we're just running into, and we, we've started over the last year and a half or so managing Amazon-sponsored product campaign, ad campaigns for clients. And just the amount of competition growth that we're seeing is also <laughs> huge. And so it's just getting harder. And I, and I think the key is, like just like you said, putting uh, more... Uh, or giving yourself the the ability to own your customer relationship and having some opportunities outside of Amazon. It's really interesting that that that's what merchants are asking for. Like, don't tell me any more about Amazon. I got it. Let's uh, let's talk about building outside of it. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, one of the keynotes at the event this year is is from a a husband and wife business team owner who got so sick of it they completely took everything off of Amazon, all their products. They completely killed that channel, moved it 100% to their own web store, and they've actually grown beyond past where they were wow. on Amazon. And wow. so. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the, you know, ideally a lot of people I like, would love to be in that boat, but it's, uh, yeah, at the same time though, like it's, you don't want to be, there's still a ton of opportunity there, especially if you have, Tons, we'll kind of yeah. maybe, maybe get into the, you know, the three or four keys for having it work out. But there's, yeah. if you've got your own proprietary brand, that's not a commodity. I think it's silly to not sell on Amazon. There's a lot of opportunity there. It's just, I think it's a question of, you know, how much do, do you, how much do you want to depend on that channel for, for your livelihood and for yes. the success of your business? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. So let's let's put it in this uh, framework, and you can come about this answer from your own experience because you you've had some successful stores that you've built and sold and done really well with, and you also you know just talk to e-commerce stores all the time. But if you were launching a new e-commerce brand, or or maybe even you know buying a, an existing one but taking it over, how what would you use? What 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 factors would you consider? as you were determining your Amazon strategy. So what would you be looking at to, to help shape your Amazon strategy? I think I'd look at 
you know, how, how unique the product was. If it was a commodity, it was a reseller. I think it's, it's much more difficult to, to be able to succeed on Amazon unless you have some pretty strict and highly enforced map pricing. And even then I think you still run into issues for me, you know, I think at a high level, assuming I had something somewhat defensible and proprietary, my strategy would be from, from the get go, probably spend, you know, the, the short term really trying to do an Amazon blitz to to get some of that momentum because Amazon is great for building momentum quickly. You can scale it very quickly. You have a huge audience. Um, so let's say you bought a business and you have a, let's say you have a three, three year plan to, to get to where you want to be. Uh, year one, I, 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 focus on, you know, at least for, you know, nine, if not 12 of those months to really dialing in that Amazon presence, um, you know, getting things working well, ranking high and doing it the best I could to sell on, on Amazon from there. So if you I, talk about, if you don't mind, Andrew, you mentioned yeah. kind of this Amazon blitz and we don't have to dive into too much detail, but what, what would some of the components of that be? Or is that what you're talking about next? No, that it's, it's a great question. So components of that would be, let's say you got a catalog of, you know, 25 SKUs. I would go through and do everything from, Optimizing the listings, getting great photography, great descriptions. Uh, I would start getting reviews for all of those different products. Uh, I'd start running paid ads through something like, you know, uh, you know the the Amazon paid uh, paid advertising that you can do to try to increase the sales velocity. Uh, to really try to 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 start moving as much uh, product as possible on Amazon through you know, in probably the short term to just increase at a, maybe at a, at a break even to, to get those rankings higher, but then towards the end of that to try to start building a little bit of profitability. Um, so there's a, a whole lot of things that we can dive into any of those kind of in more detail if you'd like, but I'd, I'd spend the first, you know, probably six, seven months really trying to just increase the, the, the revenue and the, and the turnover on Amazon to try to build my presence there and build my momentum there as quickly as possible. Okay. Awesome. No, I think that's great. So, so Amazon blitz, uh, what, what next would you consider as you're kind of mapping out your, your Amazon strategy? Yeah. Once I had that going, uh, once I felt like that, I was on a pretty good trajectory and had that, that in good shape, then I would really turn my focus to what I think is a, is a much better investment long-term and more sustainable, which is building out, uh, building out your own independent uh, website uh, because it's, you own it. I mean, that's the basic, easiest way to put it. You own the email addresses you own. Uh, you can't be cut off there. Like Amazon can't spend your account on your own site, of course. So I would take a lot of the profits uh, and everything that was was coming in off of Amazon and, and do my best to reinvest those those proceeds, assuming I had anything left over. A lot of times when you grow, you run into a cash crunch as right, a store. Right. But uh, assuming I could, uh, would really try to build out, um, you know, bringing people back to that brand and, and back to my website. Um, so that would kind of be, and we can dive into that more too if you want, but that would kind of be my one-two approach. Really use Amazon for the low-hanging fruit that you can and, and you know, do the best you can to grab as much as you can in a, in a you know, intermediate, short to intermediate period, but really long-term in that, you know, the years two you know, right at the beginning of years two and on, I'd really focus on, on, on the independent side of the site versus Amazon. Gotcha. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe let's dive into that a little bit as you're building up your, your own store. And when we've actually, it's been kind of cool. We we've worked with some, some larger e-commerce companies. And then we've also worked with some people who are transitioning from primarily an Amazon only business to now I have a Shopify store and I'm wanting to grow that. And so we've, we've got to kind of work with both, which is interesting, but what, what are some of the tips you might share for someone who is, who's beginning that store outside of, of Amazon, any, any tips you'd give to that person, like on, on where they start with traffic or, or what they should consider as they're building out. Because I think there's so many questions there. Like people would think, okay, do I need to spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on my website or, you, you know, just some of those, 
uh, some of those questions. Yeah, definitely don't spend $100,000 on your website. Starting <laughs> yeah, agree, agree. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Don't do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's tough. I mean, building out is building out your own store is, is tough. I, there's, to be totally candid, I, 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 there's not a lot of people I know that have been able to build a really thriving Amazon presence and a really thriving independent store presence. There's a few, mm-hmm. yep. uh, like Mike Jackness from Ecom Crew with Color, I think has done an amazing job over there, you know, nailing that. But to your question, what, what you should focus on, I think it, it depends on the business, of course, but I think um, the people that I've seen do it really well, uh, they do a couple of things. They either one, have a, a really cool branded experience, uh, not just a product that's proprietary, but something that envelops a whole experience or, uh, they, they brand and merchandise incredibly well. So, uh, there's this, there's an, actually an, an interview I had this week with, uh, with someone who was, uh, from a store called Asilda store, A-S-I-L-D-A store.com. And she's a, a, a photographer who puts together and creates really cool kind of adventure patches and pins. And if you go over there, they've got the products and, and they're cool. Um, but she sells them on Amazon as well. But I think what makes it even cooler on her own side is she's got just gorgeous blog, uh, a gorgeous blog that talks about, it's got posts about like, an, you know, a, an incredible three week, uh, road trip that she did with lots of photography and she's got, uh, interviews with people who are in the travel world and it's very, it's merchandising. It's a whole brand experience. When you go and read that stuff and links over to a pin, you want to buy one of those. And that's something that's a lot, a lot harder to do with Amazon. So one, I think would be focusing on, uh, you know, the holistic experience if you can. Uh, but then in terms of marketing, Marketing is going to differ based on anything. If you've got a great lifetime value, you can do a lot of the the paid advertising. Uh, but if I think if I had to boil it down, kind of, so we don't talk about this, I don't ramble on this for too long. The best marketing, especially the best organic marketing I've seen, all boils down to making and building great relationships in the space. So figure out where your customers hang out, who the gatekeepers of those sites or channels or businesses are or platforms or forms and spend six months just really getting to know them, figuring out what they need, building genuine relationships. And it sounds cheesy and cliche, but like that's when I look at all the businesses I've built up over the years, uh, organically, that's how that's what, what all that's what they all boil down to. That's awesome. I love that. It's really, really good advice. And and I 100 percent agree. Hey, Brett Curry here, a quick note from one of our sponsors, and then we'll get right back to the episode. So our primary underwriter is OMG Commerce, the company that I'm the co-founder and CEO of. And as many of you know, we are a Google premier partner. And in 2016, we were one of the fastest growing premier partners in the entire world. Very proud of that. And so we build full funnel campaigns for e-commerce companies. So search, shopping, video, display campaigns, we build those out. It is now time to get ready for the holidays. And so I've got two free offers for you, a resource and then an offer. And let me talk about the the resource first. So we just recorded a webinar with our two Google reps. So our two reps flew into our headquarters here in Springfield, Missouri. We recorded a webinar, the ultimate guide to holiday prep. We talk about campaign structure. We talk about smart bidding. We talk about budgets. We talk about feed readiness and a host of other things, some new stuff coming from Google. It's a fantastic webinar. If you'll go to omgcommerce.com forward slash learn, you'll see a link to download that webinar. I suggest you check it out, share it with your team completely free of charge. The other thing is we would love to schedule a strategy session with you. So if you feel like your campaigns are not quite ready for the holidays, we'd love to schedule a strategy session, look at how your full funnel approach is looking right now, provide suggestions, provide feedback, and potential ways we could help. 
So if you'd like to schedule that strategy session, go to omgcommerce.com, click on Get Started, and there'll be a form there to schedule a strategy session. Love to connect with you. And with that, back to the episode. Um, so I want to look at, at you know some of the the keys to you know surviving in the Amazon world and 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 who's gonna who's gonna survive. But let's maybe first look at who are the the e-commerce companies, and then you don't have to mention names unless you want to. That'd be kind of fun, I guess. But uh, what are, what are the types of e-commerce companies that are gonna have a hard time staying relevant and and really existing as the Amazon continues to grow and expand and and buy up other companies and. You know who are the who are the companies that are really going to have a hard time justifying their existence? I would say any company. I won't name names on this part. We can name okay. names for the good ones. <laughs> right. that's, 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 right. a, that's, a, that's a better idea. <laughs> I, I was baiting you along just just for controversy, uh, just uh, you know, good radio. So anyway, uh, we will name names on the paid version of this podcast, which you can, you okay. can you purchase at the <laughs> OMG Conversation. Hey, that now you're thinking. Okay, yeah. I like it. Uh, yeah, I'd say, I mean, anyone who's selling, the, the quick and dirty answer is anyone who's selling a commodity or an existing product without any kind of value add. So, um, you know, if you're selling Sony TVs, uh, big screen TVs, that's probably going to be tough. If you're selling, uh, you know, trying to be a reseller for Apple online, that's going to be brutal. Uh, anywhere, you can still make money uh, selling selling, you know, products and businesses uh, that exist, but you have to have a strong value add either on the, the service side or, uh, you know, maybe the installation side, something, uh, anyone who's selling a commodity or an existing product without any value add, I think is going to just, is it's going to be a rough, rough time for them. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. And, and I've mentioned on a couple of the podcasts that I've been on, but I've, you know, I've heard, ran into some people, you know, who will kind of go to AliExpress find some products, grab them, rebrand them, you know, sell them online, sell them in different places. Nothing wrong with that, but that is not very defensible either. Like, you, you, you know, you, you run into a situation where you're going to see other people selling those exact products. And so that's where you need to look at how, how can we create something that's unique and that's, that's valuable and, and maybe even think from start to finish, how is this, how should this product function and, and really developing something unique. I 100% agree. That's, that's awesome. Um, so in addition to that piece, cause that's an important piece. Um, what, what are some of the keys then to who, who will survive? Cause I, I do, I believe that, you know, people aren't going to say, I only want to shop at Amazon. I don't know anybody that, that says that really, I think people still want to shop at other retailers and like your, your patch and pin people. Like if I'm into road tripping and patches and pins, I'd rather buy from there yeah. than, than Amazon. So, so who are going to be the companies that, that survive and what are some of the keys there? Yeah, I think uh, kind of go down a list. There's probably four or five things and, and I'll kind of hit them briefly and then we can dive into them more if you want to. But I think having a unique product or brand goes without saying you got to have something proprietary. Uh, if you're thinly labeling, selling something on the market already, or if you just have a very thinly, uh, you know, private labeled product, I think that's, that's going to be brutal. Um, the ability to own your own customer over time. So having some kind of success and being able to move them and build up some presence on your own website uh, as opposed to just Amazon. Uh, this isn't necessarily Amazon specific, but I think it speaks more to the ecosystem and where we are uh, with, with the web in 2017 slash, you know, coming up on 18 is, is having a, a business with a, a high lifetime value for your customer, especially on the paid acquisition side. It, stuff is just getting everything. There's a monopoly near monopoly. No, not monopoly, but you got two or three or four people who control most of the traffic now and the organic opportunities are getting squeezed out and the, and the, uh, just the costs are going up. And so 
if you have a one and done customer, that is just getting so much harder to make that work. So, um, you know, having something where you can sell to them over and over and over again makes it much easier to break even or even lose a little bit up front and be able to recoup that on the back end. Yeah. And then just, just to add to that, Andrew, because I, I totally agree. We, I was consulting with a, a, a primarily an Amazon seller a few days ago and selling a product. I won't, I won't talk about the category, but um, where they share with me, like their margin is just a few dollars per order. And so as they were, they, they came to me wanting to talk about Google shopping and, and some AdWords and YouTube and some other things. And I just had to say like, man, that, unless you've got some strong reorders where you're going to be selling to this person over and over again. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we can make the math work. Like, I don't think we, I don't think we can do paid traffic. I think you're going to have to do like, <laughs> and not to be the real bear of bad news, but I think you're going to have to go organic and then, and that's going to take a long time. So, uh, so yeah, that, that high lifetime value, it's, that's, that's big, man. That, that's where the finance piece definitely comes in handy. You got to be able to, to think about those numbers. Yeah. Fortunately, you don't have to have like a four-year finance degree in two years and a brutal job to figure that out. You can, right. you can figure right. that out a little faster. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd say number, and number four, number five for me would be like uh, having a having either one of these two following things, having an incredible customer service. I think people still appreciate that. That's something Amazon can, Amazon and to be fair, for the size that Amazon is, I think they do an incredible job with customer they do. service. They do. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but it's at a broad level. It's did you get your product? Did you not? Do you need to return? Do you not? Like they cannot, if you call them up and, you know, you buy a, let's say you buy a, a rototiller and you need tips on, you know, how to troubleshoot it because it's not starting up and it's it's cold out and not, there's no way they're going to be able to help you out with. But uh, in terms of customer service, in terms of really differentiated help and selection and post-purchase support, that's something I think can be a huge differentiator. And then finally, like niches, you know, having a, the more niche you are, the harder it's going to be for Amazon to compete. And I think we're getting into a world where we're going to see, uh, we were talking about Bill Dallas before we hopped on here and, and the kind of the incredible thing he's, he's doing over at Elements Brands. And, and uh, you know, he'd say that part of the reason he's doing what he's doing is because the internet is allowing so many more small, independent, interesting niche brands to be able to uh, survive, thrive and find their own audience. And, and I think that's going to be the case with with just e-commerce in general. I think we're going to see Amazon's going to suck up all of the big, popular, very obvious categories, and then all those really small niches. Uh, the you know people are going to those are going to be ones that survive with a high level of uh, curation and customer support. And so I think that the more niche you can be, uh, you know, the better. So those would be the five things I think you have to you know, that are you have to or are very advantageous for surviving in Amazon in an Amazon world. Yeah, I love it. And and I think, you know, going to hitting on that last point and, and what Bill is doing by, you know, buying up some of these little brands and, and kind of keeping the community and keeping the authenticity. I think there's just been kind of a trend in that direction for years. You know, if you look at you know, I'll go, I'll go to coffee and beer for a minute because I think I think that that resonates with people. But you know, it's kind of been this trend, and 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 long live Starbucks. Starbucks is great. I think they kind of paved the way for the the modern coffee shop and stuff. But there's a lot of people, especially millennials. You know, they they want the local coffee shop, like the hipster coffee shop that does their own roasting <laughs> in the back, and you know they got you know the leather aprons and the goofy mustaches. <laughs> Uh, you know, stuff like that, like the, the, that's the kind of coffee. And, and honestly, like I've, I've gotten kind of addicted to that coffee too. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with, with breweries, right? Like I don't know people that talk about Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch or anything. It's like, it's microbrews and it's, Hey, if we're going to the city, let's look at who are the microbrewers in that city. And I want that, I want that flavor and that experience and the personality and, and all those things, uh, that are wrapped up. But I, I think, uh, honestly, that, that preference is kind of spread throughout, uh, 
maybe not every category, but but a lot of categories, like anything that's not a commodity, I think we're seeing those trends. Would, would, would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think part of that is the fact that, you know, over the last 10, 20 years, we've had, uh, you've had kind of this consolidation of, of people making stuff in, in, in huge you know, in, in huge runs, uh, generic things. And a lot of times those generic things, not that they can't be well-made, but a lot of times they aren't well-made. And there's, I think people are increasingly wanting to buy fewer things, but wanting to buy things of higher quality and that have a story behind them. And, and that, that, uh, not that the quality and story has to go hand in hand, but a lot of times they do. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I think that's a trend that, that we're going to see, uh, that I don't see any, any, signs of it dying out in the next year or two. Yeah, me neither. And I, and I like that you mentioned that. I've heard a few people talk about that, that potentially, especially millennials and, and younger people are looking at buying fewer things, but buying better things. And where I think if you were to step back into the, the 80s and 90s when, when, when you and I were younger, I think, I think I'm actually older than you, Andrew. But anyway, uh, back in those, it was almost more like, let's, just, let's consume, let's buy a lot of stuff and let's, let's just enjoy all this stuff. I think it's more about you know, quality and, and experiencing what it is that, that you buy. Um, so then looking at the customer service piece, I fully agree. And I think, I think the thing you have to look at there is that you're never going to get better than Amazon at delivery, right? You're never going to no. get better than Amazon at, at uh, price. You're never going to build out warehouses like Amazon is. I mean, there's certain things, you know, they're a customer centric company, but, but with limitations, like right? there's, there's some certain things that they do amazingly well that I don't think anybody's ever going to compete with. But things like yeah, answering questions, having support, building a community, like those are things that Amazon's not going to do. And so those are the things that takes manual labor and it's not the sipping umbrella drinks on the beach while, you're, while your <laughs> business just kind of you know, rakes in the money. It takes work to, to get there, but uh, that, that does create a defensible business for sure. Yeah, great. Good, good. Well, hey, let's let's do this because I, I I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and I know you not only on the podcast but you talk to to merchants frequently. Um, what have been some of your top takeaways? Like, just as you like, first of all, it's fascinating that you said people talking about e-commerce fuel live said Andrew, don't talk about Amazon anymore. Uh, talk about stuff outside of Amazon. Other other interesting insights or takeaways from the merchants you've had on your podcast or other people you had on the podcast lately? Yeah. And uh, I could pull up a bunch of these. I'll try to limit it to just like two or three recently that kind of came to mind. But um, one was just an interview with, with John Cavendish uh, over at FBAfrontiers.com and, and talking about the opportunities in, in Europe for Amazon. I mean, you, you alluded to the fact how Amazon is getting so much more competitive in the States and Europe it's, it's, it's not new, but it's not nearly as saturated in, in this as it is in the States. And so uh, starting to think about as things can increasingly get competitive in, in, in the U.S., uh, opportunities abroad. Um, so looking at opportunities for Amazon. But even also like you think about uh, export opportunities to places like China. And I think I think. It, it, we're not there yet. I don't even think we're starting to see a, a real interest in it quite yet. But I would be surprised if in five years there wasn't a big push uh, for people to start exporting to to places like China for two for two two reasons. One, China's getting so much bigger; their their middle class is getting so much wealthier uh, with more disposable income. And what do they really re really love to buy? Uh, based on what I've seen and talking to people, it's you know really premium goods from a lot of Western mm -hmm. countries. And yeah. so 
tying into great premium goods like we were just talking about made in the U.S. and selling those to a very hungry, uh, you know, market over in Asia, I think that will be, there'll be a huge opportunity there. And I think that'll be potentially one of the next big things people uh, try to do. Uh, the second one was just got done doing an interview with uh, with McGregor Button. He's the uh, the VP of marketing over at linksoul.com, a company out of uh, California, an apparel company. And uh, we're talking about direct mail and how incredibly effective it can be yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, now I'm an them. old school direct mail guy. I did some direct mail back in the early 2000s. Oh, and, cool. and so I've got a little bit of an affinity there. But yeah, yeah, continue. <laughs> well, man, I'm reaching to the choir here then. So uh, it'd be interesting to hear your experience with it too. But I mean, for him, behind, uh, you know, they, they saw the second best ROI for direct mail only behind email to wow. their per- wow. list of people that have purchased. And I, I was shocked, like, in terms of a catalog, it depends on the scale you're doing it, of course. But to print, like, I don't know, it's a 40 page color, color catalog put it in the mail and get it to your customer. I would have thought it would have been like four or five, six, seven dollars. You can get that done for like 70 cents. Whoa, whoa, that's which crazy. Blew me away. Anyway, I think uh with how crowded and expensive the digital realm has become here, I think we may come full circle and start to see more merchants start to use direct mail as an effective tool yeah, for Yeah. And what's so interesting about that is I don't I don't know what your experience is with with your mailbox, but I don't get that many marketing, uh, you know, I don't get that much junk mail uh, anymore. I mean, I get some, but if I, if there was an online merchant that I was really digging and they sent me something cool in the mail, I would totally open it. I would totally check it out. I would totally look at it. Uh, so just a quick side note. So uh, when I was first starting in marketing, I was consuming content from Dan Kennedy and Jay Abraham and some of those oh, yeah. kind of marketing legends. And so Dan Kennedy kind of turned me on to lumpy mail. You know, that's where you mail an envelope with your know, letter in it or whatever, but it also has something of dimension in it. And that's actually how I built my first agency. So when I, when I was launching uh, Curry Marketing, which is my, my very first agency back in the early, early 2000s, uh, I sent lumpy mail to businesses that I wanted to talk to. And I used that as like my intro piece. So I would just, just really quickly, because I think there could be some e-commerce uh, tie-in here. I would eat, I would mail uh, a letter uh, with a race car, like a little matchbox race car included, <laughs> and talk about cool. how I could help you accelerate your marketing goals and blah blah blah. And I made it kind of fun and stuff. And so it, it was. I would have people call me. I had this one lady call me one time. She said, "Okay, I've got your race car sitting on my desk. Let's talk." And uh, it was it was phenomenal. That's, that's how I built my business. But I think there are some interesting ways that that. And we don't do direct mail. It's not something we offer. But uh, I'm I'm excited that they said that. I think there are big opportunities for e-commerce and, and direct mail. So, do you know what's, that's a really cool story. Uh, that's a good idea. I've never heard the, the term lumpy mail before. Mm-hmm. Um, w- one thing that, that I learned from uh, McGregor that was fascinating was one thing that they will do is they will, if people come and abandon a checkout, of course, I'm guessing most people are familiar with a standard abandoned checkout or check checkout flow. But they have, there's tools and websites out there now that if somebody comes, they abandon your checkout, they'll automatically send those people a postcard mm. in the mail yeah. with the product they were going to abandon printed awesome. on it. Awesome. Yeah. But the, the crazy thing is you don't even have to be logged in as an account for something like 30 or 40% of just users on the on web in general that are cookied. They, they'll know your home address even if you're not logged in or give it to them, which is crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. That, yeah. That's maybe, I, as a marketer, that totally excites me. It's maybe a little, cre- <laughs> little creepy. A little cre- creepy. The marketer inside of me is like, yeah. The other, you know, the consumer in me is like, whoa, that's 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 weird. Um, got, yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Yeah. So cool. All right, man. I got, I got it. We got on the uh, direct mail tangent, which was good. But what uh, what's next there? Oh, I think the, the only last one that came to mind off the top of my head was just uh, the, the kind of the idea for um, 
for, for coupons uh, is I think a lot of times store owners will um, you land on a store site and uh, you get a pop up within three seconds offering you 10 percent off uh, to to join somebody's list. And and I think that, you know, just spewing coupons, uh, this is this is something that uh, a number of people, but also Drew Sanaki uh, has kind of, uh, you know, touched on in the past spewing coupons to people like crazy. It's, it's not a good strategy. It hurts your margins. You train people to expect discounts and you can definitely have things like like discount letters and coupon letters where uh, you can offer incentives at the right time. But if you are just blasting coupons to your people ad nauseum, uh, that is probably you're that's probably not the greatest strategy and you're leaving a lot of money on the table you're just training people to wait for the next coupon and and to only only buy if there is a coupon and and never pay full price yeah and even effectiveness uh chatting with someone this week who said you know i was talking to him about the 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 effectiveness of their opt-ins for blocking and and the testing they've done they said you know recently so many people are doing it that even those coupon offering a percent off isn't as effective anymore. Something just as basic as offering uh, just a, a newsletter sign in with with something uh, of value that your newsletter offers embedded in it. It's got to be appealing to your core customer, of course, but um, something that's even more basic and it doesn't even have to be an ebook or something, a huge lead magnet. Um, some of the more basic, simple, straightforward opt-ins have, they have found have been working, working better. So I think, yeah, don't, don't give away coupons and don't spray them all over the place. If, if, if that's your default, you should rethink your strategy. Maybe some offer numbness, some offer fatigue out there just a little bit. Some people are, mm-hmm. are losing that. And one of the things, and this is kind of crude, but I, I heard someone describe, you know, once you start offering a lot of discounts and, and doing couponing and stuff like that, it's kind of like crack. Like, you you get, you get you get addicted to it and so does the customer like once yeah. you start it's really hard to uh to shift gears so that's that's interesting uh that that that's kind of a trend so uh, well, Andrew, this has been phenomenal, man. I could I could keep grilling you with questions, and we could keep going forever. And I think uh, that would be entertaining for at least some. Uh, but we we are up against time, so we need we need to to wrap up. But hey, uh, for those that that don't already know the podcast, which by the way, if you don't, you got to go listen to it. But for those that don't know the podcast, where can they find that? How can they uh, dig into some of your blogs and stuff? Because you've also you've really mapped out. We didn't talk about it today, but you mapped out you know what it's like to sell an e commerce business and and how to to approach that really just some tremendous resources you have. So where can people find more? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, the best, the easiest place to, to find out about uh, all of that stuff is ecommercefuel.com. So that'll have links to uh, all the blogs that I've done, uh, the podcast, and of course, our, our private community for for people doing a quarter million or more in in sales on the e-commerce front per year. So if you're a podcast listener, which of course you are, listen to this, um, anywhere you can find your standard podcasts, you know, um, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, uh, .fm, um, any of those places. Um, yeah, that's, that's where you can find the show so. cool which which by the way it was kind of fun you and i were talking just before we got on on uh, and started recording that creating a podcast is a lot of work man like, like this is not just <laughs> yeah. one of those things where yeah i'll just take a few minutes i'll turn on the microphone it'll be it'll be done like hours go into each show so i, I commend you for uh, how long has the podcast been running uh, it's been running for so I took a little bit of a less strenuous publication schedule this last nine months, you know, only once or twice a month. So keep that in mind. But it's been going since 2013 is when man, I started. I think we're, we just crossed the 200 episode mark. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, good. Well, Andrew, this has been a ton of fun, man. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show. We'll have to do it again sometime, tackle another big e-commerce topic, but uh, really appreciate it. 
Hey, Brett, thanks for having me on. Good chat as always, man. Yeah, man, it's been fun. So as always, thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate your time and commitment to this show. Uh, let us know what you'd like to hear more of or other suggestions for guests or topics. As always, we'd love that review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show. And with that, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.